In this week's episode of Farmers Inside Track, we're catching up with Northern Cape livestock farmer Defilwe Kutsia. She believes it takes patience, planning and practice to master the art of livestock farming. In our agripreneurship slot, Senior Manager for Agribusiness at Standard Bank, Berti Haman, explains the concept of being under or overcapitalized and the consequences it creates for your agribusiness. Chef Patience Yonganye joins our Mzanzi Flavor segment to share her secret to a perfect home-cooked South African meal. You'll also be empowered by a top tip from nutritionist Andrea Duplessis. And on top of our reading list this week is Lift As You Rise, speeches and thoughts on leadership by South African businessman Bonang Mohale. And of course, our weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Market with agri-economist Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. It's a must for our farmers and agripreneurs. He highlights the latest price movements and expectations for the coming week. This is Farmers Inside Track. Supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzansi, welcome to episode 42 of Food for Mzansi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host Dawn Numdu and you're listening to South Africa's leading farmers podcast. And I'm Duncan Masua, and as always, we kick off the show by introducing you to a mover and shaker in agriculture. Today's guest is Rifilwe Kutsia. It's safe to say there are many challenges in the field and the world is still getting used to the idea of female representation in the industry. As much as we do not want to hear this, gender is still a very massive big problem in South Africa, in all industries. Farming is just slightly different than all other things because in farming you can't go to a labor forum you can't go to bargaining councils you can't go because i'm a farmer i've employed myself i can't go and dispute i need to work via departments the protocol is quite slightly different a bit technical and a bit more uh, strenuous being a female is a problem everywhere gender has always been a problem it's going to be a problem it's a problem with salaries it's a problem with promotions it's a problem with getting things done in farming, these challenges, believe you me, when I walk into auctions and they start selling the livestock and I mean putting prices on their head and I say I am the owner and I tell them whether with vet or without vet, everybody just looks and say, look at this little girl. People are going to undermine me. Remember previously it's been a male predominant industry. You are going to find those males that is going to undermine you. You are going to find those races that's going to undermine the fact that you are a black female farmer. You are going to get those challenges. but. Like I always say, whenever I go into farming, I put aside everything and I'm that strong. Anything that hinders me from farming, I cut it off. If I can see I'm going to an auction where they're discriminating against my gender, I will not go and bring that auction business. When you walk into departments and you go and ask them about funding and stuff, they look at you as this female farmer. But you know where the problem started? The problem started with society. Our black society has accepted that farming is for white people. That is why they started looking at black farmers as if we are uneducated people. They don't know that we're sitting with master's degrees, we're sitting with honours. It's just that farming is a passion that needs to call you. You can't go into farming. You can't say that I chose farming. It needs to choose you. It needs to make to bring that break in your mind and say, I'm leaving this career because I'm going to fall in love with nature and cuddle with what God has given to us that we can see grow that unconditional love and not expecting anything back. 
So I didn't choose farming. Farming chose me. Farming brought me back to my family. All my careers have kept me away from my family. And farming is generational growth. And do better to grow it with them other than my family. Speaking of challenges, what have been some stumbling blocks that you have experienced thus far? I don't know whether we should call it stumbling blocks or sometimes we should just call it that. It's something that the government and our society has accepted. It's something that people have settled for. So let me refer to it as a challenge. The challenge that I have, and it's a challenge that I'm working on changing that we need as farmers need to radically change that, is the language. Auction speaks Afrikaans. You know what a wise elder told me once? He said to me, Fifi, if you want to disrupt the community, go and speak a language that they do not understand and expect for them to make a living from what you've told them. That's when you squander people and they run around headless. And I still feel that apartheid regime, that system is still oppressing farmers because of the language. For me, that is the biggest problem and it's something that I actually hate about farming. It's that Afrikaans language. I cannot blame white people for that. I should actually come back to myself and say, what difference have I made? Has we as black farmers tried to sit together and get our languages involved? We go to auctions and we sit and accept they're speaking Afrikaans and we accept it because we are using the auction yards. No, we are paying. That's tax that we'll be paying them. We're paying them for our livestock to be sold there. We need to start standing up and asking them, can you be more accommodative in your language? If they don't want our business, they will tell us to go. We will find another auction. But in farming, we need each other. That is for me the biggest challenge. And then the second challenge is getting funding, financial aid. You walk into land bank, you walk into agri-market and you are just referred to so many things that you never even existed. That is from the apartheid regime system. Whereas you are a young startup farmer, you are in the farming industry for nine years and they're expecting you to have all of those things, equipment and everything should be settled. And the other one thing that we all know is farmers is struggling, it's land. But for land, I'm going to blame our government. They're supposed to amend that constitution. They're supposed to give our land back to ourselves. I'm not going to become political about that. I have my opinions about decisions that government is making, but some of their decisions is the ones that is causing the challenges for us. We really need our land back. We are, a lot of youth is unemployed and it costs four and four packets of seed to start growing crop and somebody can make money from that. One packet of seed can give you plus minus 100 to 150 crops that you can sell, cabbages. And if you sell one for 20 rand, you are earning a salary. The government can just look at it like that. But yeah, I don't want to become political about that. Government has assisted so far. You do get honest officials that the heart is with the people on the ground and they misused. I was very upset the other day when I read the president's letter and read that upcoming farmers' money has been squandered and looted. I don't even understand how people can be so cruel and so heartless. What has been a moment of breakthrough for you? My moment of breakthrough was the day that I saw my parents pack everything and drove into that farmyard. I said to myself, all of my hard work wasn't for nothing. It was moving the livestock from plot that we just used and moving it to a farm where you can lock a gate and you know your farming is secure. That for me, seeing my generational wealth start up and growing and becoming secure and seeing my parents happy and my family and that was a moment of breakthrough for me. It was like God has answered that one little prayer. You speak passionately about agriculture and its potential to secure generational wealth. What are the dynamics of working with your family? The dynamics farming with family is that when there's a loss, you all suffer one loss. When there is growth, all of you grow. 
Say, for instance, my baby brother decides to sell his bull, and then I have a bull, then he come and rent the bull by me, and if the bull impregnates his hyphas, his payback will be to give me one of the hyphas or two of the hyphas. It all depends on what agreement we're in the family. But farming with family can never be a bad thing for me. It was the best decision that I've ever made. If there would be betrayal, it will be a family betrayal. There is nobody that can misuse and abuse the other one. Or it probably could depend on the kind of family that you grew up with. But I thank God when I chose to leave my careers that he still gave me that opportunity to see my parents grow old with me in business. To see my boy growing up where I can still teach him where grandfather even can still teach him about the ways to see my little brother, to grow with him and, and to sit around and debate and argue and say, but this is supposed to be going this way. Can't we use this acres of land for Lucerne? Can't have that business arguments, not family argument about family fields and who didn't go to your funeral. That is the beauty about farming with family. Thanks for joining us on Farmers Inside Track. Rifilwe Kutsia, Northern Cape Livestock Farmer. It's also good to have our colleague Nolitan Dungakani join us here on Farmers Inside Track. Coming up shortly, the latest movements in the fresh produce markets. But first, Bertie Haman, the Senior Manager of Agribusiness at Standard Bank, explains the concept of being under or overcapitalized and the consequences it creates for your agribusiness. Eventually, it comes down to very simple concepts. It's just us using very smart words, you know, to maybe sound very clever. I've made a couple of notes and we're going to break it down into very simple terms. Maybe just some context. What we've discussed in the past, we initially spoke about budgets and we specifically mentioned the cash flow budget and the production budget that was important. Then we spoke about cash flow and profits and the difference between cash flow and profits. Then we spoke about the benefits and the disadvantages of debt. And last time we discussed the variable expense trap. Today's topic, we're going to move slightly to, to more the different part of your business, which is the balance sheet. Previously, we discussed more income statement and cash flow stuff. So today we're moving to the balance sheet. And we're going to highlight the risks if you focus too much on the asset side of your balance sheet and ignore the liability side. And there might be various reasons why we do that. And unfortunately, I think in the agri space, we see this happening all too often. Now, maybe just as a bit of background, the first time that I personally got interested in the whole concept of overcapitalization was many years ago. I had a conversation between a very prominent farmer and a lawyer, and a prominent farmer very confidently stated that, you know, he owes half the district. And the lawyer looked at him and very dryly replied, yes, Mr. Farmer, we don't have a problem with you owning half the district. We've got a problem with you owing the other half. And that sort of summarizes the eventual end state when you are actually overcapitalized. And with that background, maybe just a couple of definitions. Now, I think there's different ways to look at a concept of over or undercapitalization. But I think if, if I look at it, you know, maybe from a finance point of view, the corporate finance people will actually refer to something which they say is the DuPont identity. It's a very well-known concept which corporate finances use. And the DuPont identity brings together the relationship between what they call operating efficiency, asset usage, and financial leverage. Now, those are just big words again, but it actually says how well are you using your assets? How, so I'm sweating my assets. How much debt do I have? And how you know, lean is my business? But we're not going to do it from a corporate finance point of view. We are going to look at a concept today from the farmer's point of view. And I think, you know, if I look at overcapitalization from a farmer's point of view, it essentially means 
that a farmer possesses more assets than what he actually requires. So that's overcapitalization. I've got more assets than what I actually require for my purposes. Previously, we referred to the example of planting 500 hectares of maize, and I want to achieve a yield of 4.5 tons per hectare. Overcapitalization can, for example, mean that my fleet of tractors are actually set up to plant 1,000 hectares of maize. That's double my requirement. And in that sense, the particular farmer can actually be overcapitalized. And undercapitalization is just the opposite of what that overcapitalization is. What are the consequences of being overcapitalized? On face value, this does not seem to be that bad. <laughs> Don't indeed. And I think that is the risk. Because in my just example that I've just mentioned, I want to plant 500 hectares. And I've actually got a fleet of tractors to plant 1,000 hectares. And that seems to be not a bad situation to be in. But there are actually several very unpleasant consequences of being overcapitalized. And it's no coincidence that a prominent farmer was talking to the lawyer. So I'm going to maybe use some financial numbers to try and explain it. I hope I can get this right. So the first implication of being overcapitalized is that you are less profitable than what you ought to be. Now, in an example of planting 500 hectares of maize, and achieve a yield of 4.5 tons per hectare, and let's assume a maize price of 2,500 rand a ton, you can generate in revenue of 5.6 million, if I've done the numbers correctly now, right? Now, with this 5.6 million rand of revenue, let's say you require a return of 20%. Now, what you then do is you take your 5.6 million rand of revenue and divide it by 20%, you end up with a number of 28.1 million. But that is the actual capital that you can have tied up in this whole farming venture of you with all the assumptions that we've made to generate a return of 20%. Now, let's say, for example, instead of 28 million rand of capital tied up in your venture, you've got 35 million rand of capital tied up. Now, if I do the numbers again, then you will see that your return now dropped to 16% instead of the, the 20%. So in other words, if you overcapitalize, you employ more capital than what you should be employing, you're actually becoming less profitable. So that is the one implication, but it unfortunately gets worse than that. Let's say a large part of your capital was actually borrowed from the bank. Now, you will recall in the previous episode, we actually said that agriculture was generally highly indebted. So it's not unlikely that a large part of your capital will be borrowed from the bank. This can therefore mean that you have debt obligations of 35 million instead of 28 million. Now, we've just also said that you are generating a return of only 16% instead of 20%. So in other words, you don't generate any more income, but you have got a higher debt burden. And that is one of the big dangers of overcapitalization. Overcapitalization invariably means, in my experience, that you also have too much debt. And in the previous episode, we talked about having too much debt. We will typically see that farmers who are overcapitalized have to actually go off and sell off assets to repay debt. And in a tough economic environment, that's not always the, the easiest thing to do. So less impulse and thinking twice before you put more money in is what I'm hearing. How can I avoid becoming over and undercapitalized? I think overcapitalization and undercapitalization is, of course, the two extremes. The ideal situation is to be optimally capitalized. So that is what one is trying to, you know, get to. And I think if you pay close attention to the matters we've just discussed, you know, today and in previous episodes, I think you should be already better equipped to make smarter financial decisions and get to this optimal position, which is in the middle. 
not being over or undercapitalized. But maybe some specific things to look out for. Again, have a very realistic, realistic objective, what you want to achieve. Then prepare a production budget to achieve the objective and try to stick to your budget as far as possible. This is probably where the most risk lies, that bargain or impulsive buying habits. That is something that one really needs to try and avoid because it invariably leads to overcapitalization. It is also very possible that you've maybe paid too much for an asset. And the challenge in agriculture is very specific because we often find that the market value of land, for example, is far higher than the productive value of land. So in many cases that farmers who are expanding and buying more land are actually paying quite a premium for the land. And, and this in itself will lead to an overcapitalized position. There's maybe another thing to look out for. Perhaps you actually started your farming venture during a boom period. And now that the industry has tapered down slightly, you find yourself in an overcapitalized position. And this is unfortunately a situation that we actually saw quite often in the game industry a couple of years ago which was booming so much and many people entering at a high, and when the industry started to taper off, they were left in an overcapitalized position. And then sometimes, you know, we also make acquisitions of assets for the wrong reasons. Those February month tax purchases, for example, you know, maybe in the short term, you know, it's favorable tax considerations, you know, buying new tractors and stuff in, in, in February. But invariably, that can also leave you in an overcapitalized position because it may end up with assets that you cannot properly employ. I think it's worthwhile then to also speak to your accountant about your optimal capital position, how this can be best achieved. Why smart and disciplined financial decisions to achieve this position. Thank you so much for joining us again, Berti Haman, Senior Manager for Agribusiness at Standard Bank. I think the one thing that I have realized in our engagements is that you need to have someone to be able to advise you on all of these things, even if it's just, you know, to be able to talk to through all of the concepts and understand it a lot better. I am definitely understanding it a lot better. So thank you so much for joining us here on Food from Zanzi. And I look forward to our next engagement. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Don. Thanks for joining us, Berti Haman, the Senior Manager of Agribusiness at Standard Bank. Wow, Mom, why did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grainfield Chickens. Bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za From Farm to Fork right here on Farmers Inside Track, Chef Patience Nongani joins our Mzanzi Flavor segment to share her secret to a perfect home-cooked South African meal. You'll also be empowered with a top tip from nutritionist Andrea Duplessis. The secret home cooked meal is love and intent. When I say intent, I mean you need to cook, not to fill your stomach, not to put food on the table at the end of a long day. But your food must have passion. Your food must have love. Your food must have purpose. You can't just weigh everything together and expect it to be magic if you didn't put any effort into it. You can use all ingredients possible, but if your food lacks passion, if it lacks love, if it lacks intent, then it's not going to be as delicious as compared to a meal that actually was cooked with so, so, so much love. I think that is why we also always appreciate our mother's cooking apart from everyone else's or apart from our own because our mom's food is always packed with goodness and love. 
Hey, it's good to be back to share some nutrition tips. With September being World Heart Month, I thought it would be good to kick off with some foods that love your heart. Yes, that's right. Foods that are actually good for your heart. Now, oats is one of these foods. It loves your heart because it helps to lower the bad cholesterol in your body. Apart from eating oat porridge in winter, I love adding it as a thickening agent into stews and soups. It soaks up lots of liquid, so it's ideal to help thicken a stew or soup that's a bit watery. The soaked oat grains captures not only the excess liquid, but also flavor and nutrients in the dish. A big bonus for me, of course, is that it's a low-cost ingredient. So within a meat and vegetable stew, it actually helps to stretch your rands a bit further by adding bulk to the dish. Now, you need to ask how much oats to add and when, and how long do you need to cook it for? Now, a medium pot that holds about 5 litres, to that you can add 2 to 4 tablespoons of raw oat flakes. You add the oats into the stew after you've browned your meat and onions, at the time when you add your water and raw vegetables. Make sure there's enough liquid by checking after about 10 minutes of simmering and add more water as needed. Make sure the oats cook at least 10 minutes along with the rest of the ingredients, but the longer the better. And that's just one way of adding some love for your heart through cooking. Thanks, Andrea and Chef Patience. Really great to have you with us here on Farmers Inside Track. And I'm definitely missing my mother's home cooking right now. For more great, proudly South African recipes and, of course, even more daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at foodformzanzi and use the hashtag FarmersInsideTrack. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. We are drawing closer to the end of another great episode of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. But first, our book of the week. Our farmers have selected Lift As You Rise, speeches and thoughts on leadership by South African businessman Bonang Mohale. You know, nature is a wonderful metaphor for business. So this title, Lift As You Rise, is an African adage that simply says one does not have to wait until you are called the MD, Chairman or the CEO, but with every step or two that you take in the corporate ladder of success, extend a hand and lift another human being. It also comes from the notion that there is nothing much more powerful for the heart as an exercise than extending a hand down and lifting another human being as you rise. So it says if you are an individual, do your bit. If you are the 1970s teachers during the mass exodus uh, in protest against Bantu education, do care about the education of an African child. That's why they coined the phrase, each one, teach one. If you're a government, it says the best amongst us must lead with a heart of a servant because servant leadership is not a leader with many servants. If you're a business, it says 
it is your job to make sure that you are not only concerned with the whims of the shareholders but the broader stakeholder community that business cannot continue to be an island of prosperity in a sea of poverty because we need to continue to do well by doing good that it is manifestly in our interest uh, for us to look after all our stakeholders the society where we are situated the community that is surrounding us uh, but also to ensure that um, the people that work for us feel needed and wanted that they are free uh, to speak their mind lastly I think that's why nature never does anything for itself. Everything that nature does, it does for others. Hence, rivers don't drink their own water, trees don't eat their own fruit, and the sun does not shine because itself needs the vitamin D, nor the light. Um, and flowers don't give us this wonderful fragrance, especially of roses, because they themselves want to smell like Fontainebleau. They do it for others because they almost think it's their moral duty. That's their reason for existence. And I think if we took on that department, that approach, I think the world would be a better place. So first of all, feedback is a gift. So I started with the people that I was mentoring, some of the people that I work with as colleagues, some of the people that I've been looking up to, and I said, look, you know me at a personal level. This is a book about leadership. It is comprised of the speeches that I've made. That sounds like a definite must read for any entrepreneur. Remember, you can also email your book suggestions to info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Let me repeat that quickly. It's info at foodformzanzi.co.za. And from our book of the week to this week's AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets, here's Dr. Johnny van der Merwe an agricultural economist at the Northwest University. Thank you very much, Dawn and Duncan. This is your weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Market, made possible by Standard Bank. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news, subscribe to the AMT YouTube as well as Facebook pages. But let's jump straight into the latest vegetable prices the past week. The potato price increased last week by 6% to 60 rand 81 per 10 kilogram bag with low volumes that is still supporting these prices. These prices will likely remain on this high level for the coming 3 months with higher prices also likely at certain times. As expected, the tomato price decreased by 11% week on week to 5 rand 96 per kilogram with volumes starting to increase because of the warmer weather. This also resulted in smaller and lower quality tomatoes currently on the markets, putting further pressure on the price. Some good news, however, is that prices can trend upward over the next two months with slightly less product available due to some production issues. The carrot price increased last week to 3.67 per kilogram. Over the short term, however, we are expecting high volumes that may keep prices stable. But production issues encountered the last six months or so is likely to result in lower than expected volumes and prices to get some support over the next three months. The onion price continued to decrease to 4.46 with volume pressure still affecting these prices downward. Prices can remain under pressure for September due to high volumes and stabilize in October. Other vegetable prices traded as follows. 
cabbages on 3 rand 23, the garlic price decreasing to 58 rand 13, spinach on 3 rand 49, sweet potatoes on 5 rand and 2 cents, and the latest pepper price on 12 rand 22 per kilogram. Overall, there is currently very limited demand in the fruit market and can to a certain extent be attributed to the colder weather also experienced. The banana price decreased by 7% to 7.54 per kilogram, still 77% higher than last year. Volumes usually peak in October every year, but the cold winter could result in higher volumes towards November as well putting downward pressure on this price. The latest apple price increased to 7.02 per kilogram, while pear prices traded on 6.98 per kilogram last week. Both these commodities are in an upward trend for the coming three months, but low demand this week may limit any upward sentiment. The orange price decreased by 2% week on week to 4.31 per kilogram, with low demand likely to impact this price negatively as well. The avocado price trended upwards again on the back of lower volumes, trading on 18.34 per kilogram last week and can likely remain upward over the following three months. The table grape price is expected to decrease towards the end of the year with volumes likely to increase in November. The latest price traded on 50.83 per kilogram. As expected, the pineapple price decreased further by 14% to 8.32 per kilogram and may remain under pressure due to low demand on the markets. The latest lemon price increased by 8% to 5.97 per kilogram. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news in the fresh produced markets of South Africa, subscribe to the AMT YouTube page and also follow us on Facebook. Also make sure to stay tuned to Food from Zanzi for the latest in agriculture. This broadcast is of course made possible by Standard Bank. Back to you Don and Duncan. Thanks Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. Dawn, that's a wrap for this week then. Remember listeners, if you love this podcast, share it with your friends, your family members and even your fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track podcast is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please stay safe out there and remember to always wear a mask. Also visit Food for Mzanzi's COVID-19 support page for the latest updates and information. From me, Don Numdu, Duncan Masiwa and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week. Until next week, bye-bye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.